You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Now, recently I had a conversation with one of my buddies. He's kind of a, a truck nut, a car nut, and he told me that Interstate Batteries makes, from a technical standpoint, some of the best car batteries on the market, period, hands down. Not only that, but they have thousands of retail locations all over the United States. So stop in to a local retail store, ask the guy who works there about their car batteries, and hell, you might as well put one in if they're the best in the business. So interstatebatteries.com is their website. Go there, find out more information about the culture of the company, the batteries that these guys carry, or just stop into a, a local retail store. Interstate batteries, outrageously dependable. This time of year in the summertime, Maximizer Mineral is top grade, top shelf, top notch. Read your seed tags. Even though it's not a seed, you can read the tag, read the back of the bag, read your darn trophy rock or whatever crap it is you're throwing out right now. Check it out. Compare the differences. It's not all about salt content. Uh, if you go to the doctor, and I, I, I'm sure that I'm, everybody on here has been told, hey, you don't need to be eating any more salt. It's not doing anything for you. Well, it's the same way with the mineral, man. Actually, you want real minerals, not just one. Too much salt. Bad, bad thing. Throw out some Maximizer Mineral. Head out to www.realworldwildlifeproducts.com and identify a dealer near you if you want to feed something out to your deer herd that actually makes a difference. That's what I call pro talk. When you really don't know the answer, you just make it up. My rut is that I am in a rut. To get the pilot of Red Arrow going. There's really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there are entertaining. There you <laughs> go. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rose here on American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Leanne Tiffany Lukowski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz of Crane Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and Stevie on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Pro Talk Outdoors. Dave and JP bringing it to you here. We've uh, moved the studio out to the kitchen, which is kind of nice to... Open environment. ...have a little bit more open spaces, so we're excited about that. Uh, it's late June now. Obviously, food plot planting season for the spring is pretty much over, and uh, if you're getting them in now, best of luck to you. I hope the rain times out well. 
Yeah, I, I don't think it's too late. If you're listening to this right now, I mean, there's a chance you can get something in, you know, some soybeans and maybe maybe make something happen there if, you, if you're blessed with good weather, you know, if Mother Nature blesses you. But, man, you are tempting fate a little bit if you're waiting this late. But, you know, the interesting thing is, and, and I get messages from folks all the time asking, hey, I just, um, you know, just got this piece of uh, ground that I can food plot, you know, and, and it may be a situation like what we may end up running into in, uh, on our lease is, you know, farmer didn't get it in, you know, it's not planted yet and, and maybe they're not going to. So there's a, there's a lot of those folks out there that are realizing that there's some acreage available and they're asking questions, is it too late, you know, to, to get soybeans in the ground? And, and too late, maybe not, but is it, Late in the game, it's very late in the game. It's definitely not ideal. Yeah, I mean, uh, especially when you take into consideration that, you know, if you have to spray still, you know, and then you've got to kill something off. I mean, it's almost like if it were me and in a perfect world, if I found out today that, you know, X number of acreage on our lease is not going to get planted, I wouldn't shy away from putting beans in the ground. But what I would probably do is a one-day spray and drill beans i mean that, that's essentially really the only way you could possibly get it done if you if you're going to try to kill it off and then wait a couple of weeks and then turn the ground over and then broadcast uh, those couple of weeks are going to be pretty valuable for the growth that you're going to miss out on sure and i mean then there's the other school of thought where okay listen it's turning out that you've got two three acres available that you didn't think you were going to have or maybe more uh, don't necessarily feel rushed to acquire resources, labor, or, or you know, hope you know you can gamble and get some rain. Why not drop back and and make a good plan for the fall and plant a, a nice yeah. sized and very diverse fall food plot? Uh, which obviously, you know, you and I are both big fans of both. You know, we're huge fans of beans and we're huge fans of fall plots, but they each bring their own challenges and their own kind of strategies. And rewards. So I think the best way to make that decision is kind of think about how you want to hunt. Think about what what you do. If you're a gun hunter and you want to hunt late November, mid-November over some really cold front type conditions, maybe you should go ahead and try to squeeze the beans in. If you're a guy who's a really avid bow hunter who also gun hunts and also muzzle loader and late season hunts, well, you know, you could make an argument both directions, but you definitely at least want to have one of those fall plots out there. So uh, it's all about evaluating what it is you're looking for. And I think that bridges the gap perfectly to today's primary topic, which is how do you figure out what property is right for you? Now, obviously, when it comes to deer hunting, uh, any property is better than no property. And a lot of people face that battle or they hunt public. But if you're the kind of person that's going in uh, with some extra income or you've got some buddies and you want to look and acquire a new piece of private ground, what is it you're looking for? Uh, I think you can probably dissect this a million different ways. For me, the very first question is price. What budget do you have? What budget do you need to have to acquire a quality property? And we'll get into what makes a property quality, but identify your personal budget. That And that'll tell you right there if you need buddies or if you don't. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very, very good point to start out with. And I... Um, and maybe even before you, you even look at your budget, maybe you need to look at wh- what are your goals with that property. Uh, and, and maybe that's one and one A, you know, but um, because, you know, for a lot of folks, it it, um, it turns into, 
I just need a piece of property. You know, you know, and and they don't they don't have a a list they need to run down. They just say, hey, it's forty acres, or hey, it's a hundred acres, and I can get it. So that's what I want to do. You know, maybe the price is less, and that's what they're thinking of because it becomes a budget issue. Um, but you know, we want to dive into that just a little deeper because there's so much that goes into um, finding a piece of property, locating something that is even available for lease. And maybe maybe it's a piece of property that you don't even know is available for lease, similar to our situation. Sure. Um, you know, those are the things that we want to jump in with this episode and discuss and, and try to maybe maybe give some folks out there some, some ideas. Maybe if you take away one little nugget from this this episode maybe it'll help you in finding a piece of property that you can have just a, a great not just this year but a great many years of hunting success on and I, I think that's part of identify your goal for the property is it a band-aid is it a band-aid property let's say you had one that you hunted for years and then all of a sudden that property changed owners and you lose permission well do you need a band-aid to get yourself through this season before you can acquire more long-term properties okay well i think that helps you a set your budget a little bit better and b attain what your goals are as a hunter if you're looking for a band-aid property heck you probably just want something with some does on it don't worry so much about what quality of bucks you know shoot a couple does put meat in the freezer and and call it satisfied if you can get on a buck that's great but if it's something where you feel like okay i'm looking for a long-term solution here this is not a band-aid i think at that point you really need to dive into what your goals are whether that's uh size of of deer population or size of bucks or you know age structure that already exists or maybe it's a pet project yeah, I think different guys have different things they're looking for. And if yeah, you, certainly. If, if you would have asked you and I what we were looking for five years ago, I bet the answer would be different than what it was if you'd asked us a month ago. Oh, oh, absolutely. You know, and and I would guess, I, I think, and I could be completely wrong, and I don't want to be thinking for other folks out there, but it, it almost seems to me, JP, like most guys out there that aren't, really serious about their hunting and they're just uh you know maybe they're serious about it when october rolls around or november but they're not putting in work throughout the year i think they look at the entire situation like it's a band-aid situation i mean they they look at at least like um i'm not going to put any work into it i just want somewhere to go to um and have it and say that it's mine the rights to hunt that are all mine not anyone else's but my whole thought is that why would you even want to do that? I mean, if if you're going to take the time and and put the income into or your hard-earned income into leasing a piece of property, why would you not want to go ahead and just take the extra steps and 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 plan it out? You know, sure, a little bit of legwork can go a long way into finding a quality piece of property that can serve many, many purposes. And you really need to treat your lease like it's a business because there's a landowner involved here. Essentially, that landowner is, uh, in a sense, your customer. Even though you're paying him, you got to treat him, his family or whomever may be at that property, and in particular, the ground that you're hunting in that property with a lot of respect. Uh, but along that line, if you're really looking to make this a project, well, treat that guy like he's your customer and keep him close because you can 
take a property that's, say, incredibly cheap or affordable that may not be ideal, it fits your budget, so it, it checked off box number one, but maybe it doesn't have some of the things you're looking for. Well, that doesn't mean that those can't become possible with a little bit of elbow grease. And you're talking about putting in the work. I, I think not only is that sweat equity, but that's conversations, that's relationships, Absolutely. And, and that's a lot of research because let's say this is a 100-acre property just for even math, and the farmer tends to plant 80 acres of it, and there's 20 acres of woods. Well, you could potentially buy a half acre off of him. Half acre is a pretty good size for a fall food plot, something you can really strategize around, and, it, and it'll provide attraction that maybe otherwise wouldn't have been there if he's a guy who either picks early or has something that, that's not all that attractive for the local herd. So uh, I think treating these people almost like they're a customer and really making them feel comfortable with what you're doing and, and abreast of your intentions is going to be better for everybody. Oh, absolutely. So let, let's before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's just take step one. Let's say, say a guy has X number of dollars and he wants to start looking right now for a lease. What's some of the options that that guy may have? I mean, I know we, you and I have had so many of these conversations because we were the we were that guy. I mean, we oh, yeah. we had those lease dollars available, and we wanted to figure out where we could spend them. And so, you know, we can walk you through what we did, but let's look at some options out there for guys that that may be in this situation right now. And I mean, I guess without calling a, a particular brand name out, you can get on Google and. Just search for hunting leases. And there's going to be a couple of websites, probably one in particular, that's going to come up before any of the others. Uh, know going into this that obviously there's a reason that's so easy for you to find. And you're going to pay for some convenience because a sales rep is well paid to put those listings up, find those listings, uh, manage those listings and the people involved. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of middleman activity that goes on there. Uh, something that you and I have liked to do is either A, get on, you know, find out who your buddy knows and, and talk to your buddy's buddy or go door to door. Those are probably the three biggest options that somebody has is what they can find on Google, what they can get from a personal relationship, or what they can get going door to door. Absolutely. And then option D is, is kind of what we, we enacted this, this year. And I know we've talked about a little bit on this podcast, but we'll go ahead and and explain that and how we, we went through that process to find our lease in Indiana this year. We literally, uh, I, I guess you could say we dream big with it. You know, we, we pie in the sky. What's the, what's the absolute best property we could find? And we didn't look at it as in we need to go to a property that we think there's just five mature bucks living on this property we looked at it as in something that we want to have long term that we feel like yes number one has good deer numbers number two has mature buck potential right they may not be there right now but has right. the potential to hold absolutely them. has the potential to hold them and then three is an added bonus you and i were avid fishermen we love to fish so number three I wonder if we can parlay that and get a piece of property that's going to get us access to a good body of water that otherwise we wouldn't have. You can call that ancillary benefits. I mean, the people listening to this podcast, are, 99% of them are saying, hey, I'm looking for a lease to, to deer hunt or turkey hunt. Right. So I would, I would call that an ancillary benefit. Although to us, it was more like a primary or secondary kind of thing. But for most folks, 
that's a that's an ancillary thing that needs to be considered because it adds value to your property. Absolutely, it does, and and you could almost just consider location something that would fit in the same kind of way as is what that would be. Is you know it, it may not change the way the property hunts, but heck, it's two minutes down the road. Well, man, that's a heck of a benefit that's worth considering. Just as if you Absolutely. were you were job hunting and you're trying to figure out your next move in a career path. It's something to consider, and obviously, from where I'm about to build my house, you couldn't get any better Pretty on this lease. Location. I mean, it's yeah. it's walking distance, uh, just so happens. So, I think those are things you need to to think about as well. But but let me turn turn it around here a little bit and ask you a question. Uh, you know, knowing what our budget was, and knowing that you already knew about this property, let's take it out of the fold. Let's let's pretend like it doesn't exist. What would your next step have been, since you and I are both a little weary of what you can find on the very first Google hit, what would have been the next step? Would it have been knocking on doors or more kind of through the grapevine? Well, I, and, and we knew about this property, but I'll tell you... It was not listed available No, anywhere. no, it was not listed available, but where it clicked for me was whenever I got on and did a search um, on my... Um, Onyx. Onyx map. Yeah, thank you. And hey, blank there. not to jump in, that is a great tool. If you it's don't want to use, use Google, get Onyx. It's worth its yearly subscription. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, so I was just kind of messing around on Onyx, and I was looking at, you know, you know, you scan out, and you, you can kind of look at an area, at each area. So, number one, yeah, is it a convenient location? Yes. Number two, is it in the right area that you want? Yes. So, then you start looking at, what kind of funnels are on these properties? I mean, and, and yeah, you're dreaming about it because you have no idea. These are not listed properties. These are not listed for lease. You have no idea if um, Uncle Bill hunts the property or, or my mom and dad, you know, know their best friends for years and they hunt the property. You have no idea what the situation is there. So you just look at it and you think, you can kind of target your ideal property, and there's nothing wrong with doing a search then on the property owner. It's all right there for you on Onyx. Do a property search and say, okay, um, John Doe owns this property, and wait a minute, I noticed that John Doe gets his tax bill sent to New York, and this property is located in Indiana, so John Doe is not present here. So, number one, no, we don't want to just go trespass and decide we can hunt it because John Doe lives in New York, right. which that does happen. But we want to contact John Doe and say, hey, what's going on with your property here? I noticed it. It would be of some value to me if I could, you know, work out a deal, put a contract in place, and purchase the hunting rights from your property um, on an annual basis. And those deals can easily be struck up. It takes a little bit of legwork on the front end, but you can, I, I'm very confident, it worked for us, but I'm very confident that a person that spends a little bit of time doing that legwork can find a much better property that fits their needs and their desires that way than you can just logging onto Google and saying, I want to pick a piece of property to hunt. Absolutely, 100%. I couldn't agree with you more. And the other benefit of it is you're going to find some savings putting in that legwork yourself. Obviously, there's going to be a reward at the end of the day thinking, man, you know, we went out and chased this down all on our own to, to, to grab this property without the help of, you know, a licensed agent, essentially. Uh, but number two, 
you're going to save a bundle of money. And if you're tight on budget at all or just conscious of the money that you're spending, you're going to get much more uh, acre per dollar, oh, I guess, if you will, uh, by going that route. And I, I think part of what you mentioned there is knowing what you want to hunt. Uh, don't just pick one because you think it might be available or you might be able to talk that guy into leasing it. Don't waste your time and, and money, and don't waste their time and money. Uh, well, I, I guess they wouldn't be investing in anything, but uh, I think it's important to know exactly what it is you're looking for. Uh, and, yeah, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to knock any of these sites that – yeah, because there there are good properties available on those sites. I've you know sure. we we looked at a couple of those and we Absolutely. said, hey, this one might be pretty interesting. But you know when you when you look at those properties, a lot of times um, it may be just a forty acre chunk of ground that has an acre and a half or two acres of cover on it, and you have no idea what the neighbors are. I mean, you don't know the situation whatsoever, and it's hard to drop a couple thousand dollars to hunt an acre and a half of woods not knowing i mean yeah there may be deer tracks there but i mean you have no idea what kind of you're you're so limited in your opportunities you're you're essentially setting it up saying that i've got one stand location i can hunt all year long and it's going to cost me a lot of money to hunt it um so not a good situation i property is very important 100 percent, and don't do it sight unseen I, i think whatever you do whatever you decide to invest in and you find makes you happy and affordable Go look at it first. Don't spend that money yet because you may notice something about access to the property. You know, there's an issue with the easement or you might pick up something about the neighbors that way. So what? You may not know anybody for 40 miles either direction. But if you drive by and you see a bunch of shady stuff going on, you might feel a little bit less confident about that investment. You're not going to buy a house without driving through the neighborhood. Yeah, if you see a meth lab right across the it's, road, it's a no-go on the property. It's, it's a no-go. You don't need to need to go that route. So don't do something sight unseen. And I think that's good advice, whether you're looking for an out-of-state lease or looking for something right down the road. You need to get as acquainted with the property before you make that purchase or, or lease agreement. Uh, it's going to save everybody a lot of heartache. And I, I think the other thing that somebody needs to consider when when going down that road is, A, uh, how does this property lay out in terms of uh, getting in and out wind directions? Oh, absolutely. So, so when you when you really want to dive down the rabbit hole, okay, yeah, you can get in and out. There's plenty of easement stuff. There's It's got all kinds of potential. I put the legwork in, I can do food plots and, and bedding areas, all this kind of stuff. You're looking long term. Well, then the next thing you need to check out is, okay, what about wind directions? Can you really even hunt this for the predominant wind in the area? So where we live, we get a lot of northwest winds, west winds, and and north winds. We don't get as many south winds, and we certainly don't get that many east winds, especially not uh, in the primetime hunting of the season. Yeah, yeah, you're looking at November, it's pretty uncommon. So you've got to to look at that property through that that shaded glass to find out, okay, is this something that's going to fit with my style and area or, or is this a waste of time yeah that those are very very valid points you, you just and, and i think that's that's the kind of legwork that a lot of folks aren't putting into especially you can't see this on a website it's like you said you got to put boots on the ground you got to take the time to invest to go look at it make sure that that fits the bill there very yeah. important yeah uh, and then we can actually kind of turn this conversation just a little bit, still going on leases and, and things that you may face uh, when you do that kind of thing. Obviously, we've had a great opportunity in Kentucky for uh, 
several years. So, you know, we went through some of these steps and we identified a great property and we've put several years of work into it. And now that property is evolving, not by just our actions and the effort we've put in, but it's evolving by things the landowner is doing. And anytime you jump into something like this, you have to be cognizant. You don't own it. They may let you treat it like you do for three, four, maybe even six months out of the year. But at the end of the day, you don't own it. And you don't have 100% control over what goes on there. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Sad story there. <laughs> but, you know, um, you, you feel uh, you, you feel ownership in it because you put a lot of effort into that property. So, yeah, legally, I mean, you have no rights to the property other than the rights given to you to hunt that property. But you put a lot of sweat equity on that and a, a lot of time. And in our case, I, I'm quite certain that we've spent exponentially more time there the last four years than what the property owner has. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, it it would be a a grain of sand in an entire hourglass. But at the end of the day, it's his. And and he he can do with it whatever he so chooses. And he's been so gracious throughout the entire thing. Super guy. To allow us the the freedom and liberty that we've had over there. So uh, in no way, shape, or form is this a complaint. But it's something to be cognizant of. It's, it's real-world stuff. It's real-world stuff. Be cognizant of it when you jump into these kind of things that, that nothing in this world is permanent. Yeah. Especially hunting lease. <laughs> so I guess, I guess to tell the story, we, we should probably just uh, let everybody know what happened. So, um, you know, we every year our plan has evolved somewhat on that piece of property just based on the knowledge that we've gained every year when we're hunting it. So... We had uh, obviously this year was a, a new plan. We had um, we had uh, about an acre, a little over an acre there that we had planted in clover and had in clover for the last couple seasons. And we just had decided that we were going to go ahead and terminate that clover, spray it out, uh, which we did, and we were going to plant some uh, real world Gen two soybeans there. Not not expecting in any way shape or form for those beans to make it through to the fall and what we mean by that is deer numbers are pretty darn solid there and we expected a lot of browse yeah we expected that size of plot that the beans would get ate up quite a bit didn't expect to make much even go to pods so what what our plan was is that was going to put some nitrogen into the soil and then we were going to come back and we were going to go ahead and and spray that out and then go back and plant the deadly dozen there. And we had had the very first year we we had this property, that's basically what we did. We tried beans there and they didn't take and then we came back with deadly dozen and we had fantastic results there with that. Our best season that we had. Absolutely our best season. We uh, saw a lot of really good mature bucks on that. So... That was the game plan, and we had let, um, out of these, I don't know, four acres or something, we had let the majority of it grow up very much, back to where it was when we first got there. Great bedding. It, it was great cover, and when we pulled up, I, I had sprayed um, three weeks, four weeks prior to us pulling up there to plant, and we had plant, pulled up, and uh, we were going to make a, um, you know, bust the ground up and plant it that day, and when we pulled up, what we found was everything that we had let grown up was now bush hogged down and two inches in height. Not just that. I mean, there were trees being ripped up and everything. And so our immediate reaction was, Oh my gosh, 
we had no idea what was going on. So we, we figured we needed to go talk to the landowner. And that's what we did. We took off and went straight to the landowner, only to find out that the plans are in place for him to uh, put a new home right smack dab in the middle of where our best food plot was there. <laughs> Pretty much. And I, I don't know if it's a, a shame on us. I think it's something you could potentially learn from is is keep your, your landowners as close as you possibly can. And I, I guess we hadn't kept him close enough. Uh, probably a, a, another check-in or something earlier in the season may have a, kept us from putting that effort in. We would have known, hey – He's about to do this. Let's not worry about spray, and let's drop back and, and figure out a different plan there. Uh, luckily, there's enough acreage in property that he owns that we're able to adjust a little bit. And and he did not take permission away from us on the entire property, just kind of where his home site is going to be. Uh, but even that's up in the air because we don't know if his – building construction is going to be even underway when deer season starts. And he said as much. If it's not, boys have at it. Now, obviously, that changes everything because a lot of the hard work we had done there is is kind of thrown out the window in in regards to the cover. But um, now we've we've kind of got a bit of a scramble on our hands to figure out uh, and, and learn more about a part of the property that we haven't devoted nearly as much time to, A, because it wasn't as productive, but... B, because we had better resources over here. But now here's the thing. All of that has changed, not just for us, but for the deer. So they're going right. somewhere. They're either going to the neighbors or they're going to this new part of the property that we haven't spent as much time in. And it could be gangbusters. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, You know, you, you said it hadn't been as productive. But part of that is we haven't spent any time over there. I mean, literally, I think you hunted there one time. Once. I have never hunted it. I've never hunted it. So, um, you know, we folks, we've had this property for four years, and we've had one hunt anywhere in this section. Uh, so, yeah, we, and we haven't even ran cameras there much. I mean, we have had some cameras there. Uh, Eric's buck that he killed um, uh, the fall before last, which is going to be one of our episodes that are coming out in uh, this fall for Carbon TV on Interrut, but it is ish. That buck, we first saw him over there on this piece, on this this section. You know, that was where he first showed up in the summertime, um, and he made an appearance over at the others. I mean, it's it's not out of the realm that um, we may have really good success there. We may not. I I don't know. I mean, if if you listen to Don Higgins and, and you and I, we believe a hundred percent. Don is he's the guru. He is he's a big buck killer and. Uh, has some great advice, and he's done a great job of mentoring us, and we've taken 100%. a lot of good advice from him. And one of the things that Don loves to say more than anything else, the, the number one thing that a big buck wants is freedom from human intrusion. Other people may be intruding over there. We don't know what the extent of that is, but we certainly have not been intruding in that area. So it, it may play into our hands. It easily could. I think it's an opportunity for us to show how, how we've grown as hunters. Uh you know, when we first showed up on this property at all, we had a great season, uh, and then we overdid it basically the, yeah. immediately the year after that, and hurt ourselves not only for that season but for last season. I believe that that it, absolutely that it had long term ramifications, and unfortunately, a lot of the work we had done and learned from some of those mistakes was going to really take effect this year, and, and we know that it was. Absolutely. It already had been much evidence that it had turned back around 
toward the good direction. But those deer have to go somewhere, and I'm optimistic that some of the same deer we had been hunting and plan on hunting will make appearances over here. Some of them I don't think we'll ever see again. Uh, but on that same token, there could be deer living in this area that we don't even know exist. Uh, and it's really important to basically treat this area almost like it's a new property, identify its strengths, weaknesses, obstacles, and, you know, I mean, just things you can key in on. I, I, one I think thing we've got we, a great food plot opportunity. Uh, yeah, we do, and, and we've got a good opportunity to put a really good deadly dozen food plot in there that's uh, very secluded. And lays out on an unreal and, wind direction. Yeah, and, I mean, and, just and so the, perfect. the ease of getting in and out undetected, is top notch. I mean, I would put that on a ten on a scale of ten. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's it's a terrific opportunity there. Now, we have no idea if there's going to be any deer hitting it or not. I, I'm very confident that there will be. Um, you know, you know. And, I, and I think that spot in particular is one that if we had known this situation was going to occur three weeks earlier, I think we could have planted beans right there oh absolutely. it would have taken yeah. a lot of work to get that ground ready for that because there's never been anything planted there obviously but it would have given it some attraction earlier than what these fall food plots will so yeah. a lot of these deer are going to run on this fall food plot in happenstance because it may not be part of their normal pattern at that time whereas i think those patterns would have had more opportunity to change had there been a long-term food source there so i think that is an obstacle in and of itself. But I think once a deer runs into this awesome deadly dozen plot we're going to have there, uh, it's going to know it's there and, and keep coming back. Yeah, I mean, the, this location, now, granted, folks, we're not talking about a big area, and we're not talking about a lot of stand locations, but one in particular, uh, you talk about access, check, perfect access. You talk about wind directions, ability to hunt, check, perfect there. You talk about food, going to have it, check. Talk about cover, plenty of cover, check, water, it's there. All those boxes are checked. You know, freedom of of human intrusion, check. I mean, it's all going to be there. The only thing that we're going to need to play into it is is to actually have a deer show up. (laughs) Right, and, and, you know, if you hear all of those boxes checked and you think, well, you dumbasses, why haven't you hunted it before? The reason we hadn't hunted it before is sign. I mean, there was putrid amounts of sign in this area and and the one time we did hunt nearby uh the experience basically reinforced the fact that man there's just not much that moves over here but obviously as landscape changes patterns are going to change and uh the most we can do to influence those patterns i think the better off we can be but uh, again it's going to be important to limit that intrusion absolutely because this spot will be also very easy to blow out uh it's good getting in and out the wind direction's great but there's not a ton of options in the area, so we have to avoid that temptation to overhunt the particular area we're talking about. And, and not just overhunt it. We, we need to make sure that... Uh, when we, we do hunt it, get your well, money's worth. we need to make sure that we're not in there stomping around a lot before season even comes in. I mean, I'll be the first to admit that that's, that's an area that... Man, I've I've always struggled with in the past. You've I love to get in there and check cameras, and I love to put out you know mineral and feed and all that stuff. I mean, I just enjoy it. But the the benefit that we have this year is not only um, that I'm kind of growing and evolving a little bit, and and able to kind of restrain myself from doing so. I've got a lot more properties that absolutely you know I, I've diversified. Um, quite a bit and so you know the extra farms that that i picked up to hunt in indiana 
it, it makes it hard for me to even want to drive to Kentucky to take care of those things. So it's your, it's your furthest property, and and yep. now you're well aware not only from personal experience and and things you've been told and read, but you've you've now just learned 100 percent that. You can screw that up, and this is exactly how you can screw it up. Yeah. But but you're given all these other places you can divert that attention and, and really resist that temptation. Uh, I think the only person that was almost as excited as you about your cell camera was me because I knew it would keep you out of there. <laughs> Absolutely, but yeah. I, I, I don't know. I think things are going to be just fine over there. I, I don't have delusions of grandeur that we're both going to go over there and shoot a deer that's 150-plus four or five, six years old, I have confidence that one of us will. Yeah, I, and I that's, think that's, that's all you can really assert and, and hope for. And I don't think either one of us cares which one of it is. No. And, and we're going to be just as happy no matter who does it. Uh, I don't – I mean, the other guy's going to keep hunting after it happens. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. Because that's what you got to do. But uh, I, I think it's going to be fine. And the fact that we're sharing this Indiana property as well, I, I think really allows us to allocate – resources and effort over there to, to learn even more uh, this may sound a little goofy but I, I think the amount you can learn uh, from a property not about but from a property goes down over time not a bunch it, yeah it you does. can learn every year but all the lessons that you can learn from from a property is probably i'm going to say 60 percent learned the very first year and then maybe 20 to 30 percent the second year and then after that yep. it falls off precipitously well, I agree with the, that. The 100%. lessons we have to learn in Indiana are tremendous. We don't know our ass from a hole in the ground about that property. And it's so exciting to me to put all of that effort that would have been put into Kentucky trying to learn more about a property oh, that we've we probably learned about. Now we get to do it somewhere new. So yeah, it's almost like one door closes and another opens. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing, you know, we, we were uh, limited as far as the food plots that we could put on that property because most of it's tillable acreage or wooded. Um, you know, we mentioned there's a lake there on it as well, but, uh, we did take, uh, an area and work the ground up and, and we put in some, uh, a test product that we're, uh, testing out for real world there. And we're going to come back in later in the fall and put some more deadly dozen in and, and may have more acreage available than what we thought based on the farmer not planning. I, you know, it's, it's late for farmers as well in our area. So Which, I don't know they may or may not get it planted, but it kind of looks to me like it may not get done. Well, and, and the places that you and I hung some stands already, which for the, I guess, fifth or sixth year in a row since we've been hunting together, we haven't got all our stands hung, and here it is almost <laughs> July. Typical. Uh, so shame on us. Typical. Every year we talk about it, and every year we find two or three that we still need to do in July. But where we already have stands, if they don't plant these, and these are big ag fields. These are not small. I think we can really, really get selective about where we put these fall Absolutely. plots and make them incredibly deadly. Uh, I mean, it, it almost like the theory of death by a thousand cuts, it, it's the exact opposite of that. In, instead of a thousand cuts, all these different places that maybe you can figure out and beat a, a mature buck, we're going to pinpoint and sniper rifle approach these food plots in an area where there is a ton of deer running around. But if you really, really limit where their food is, I think you can bottleneck a mature buck there this year. Absolutely. I'm really confident in it. Yeah, I feel really good about that property. Because um, there's not, I mean, other than browse, there's not a there's lot not of There's not going to be any yeah. ag anywhere. There's, there's really, there's not a lot of ag in the area. And, you know, we talked before about realizing what, what your neighbors are like. We've got good neighbors there. 
Absolutely. We have really good neighbors. I mean, um, you're surrounded on two sides by roads, and then you've got a really good neighbor on one side that is doing everything that they can do to um, manage their deer herd, harvest only mature bucks, plant um, chestnut oaks, plant, you know, several different types of of good mass crop trees. And what's even better is he owns a lot of property. Yeah. It's not like you've got a, a neighbor chunk. on this side that owns 10 acres and he's just doing what he can with it. This guy owns a huge chunk. Yeah. So he's got a, a, a really large vested interest to do those things for one and two. That blocks off a ton of pressure from anybody else that, that could be oh, remotely yeah, close to that side. And the best part, I only mentioned three sides. The fourth side, water. And we're going to have an episode coming up on that here shortly uh, as soon as we identify the best guest to talk about it, but how to appropriately hunt around water, and I don't mean like a watering hole that you've created or uh, a really small natural pond. I'm sure we'll touch on that kind of thing, but I'm talking about a larger body of water that is a significant piece of the topography, like something this one that, is. Yeah, something that definitely plays into how how the deer movement takes place. And um, I, I won't spoil anything. I actually witnessed some of that last weekend on happenstance by just going out there and fishing one morning at sunrise and and saw some deer activity and, and think I may have, have learned something. But uh, it's it checks a lot of boxes, and I hope when people listen to this episode and want to go search out a property that, that they can learn a little bit from just understanding their own personal wants and needs before they ever jump into anything else. A, number one, I think, is your budget. But go from there, guys. Everybody can do what we're doing. Yeah, and I tell you, folks, I, I'm uh, I'm as bad as anybody about getting excited over something and jumping right in. But I can tell you that when you're talking about a lease to hunt, I've, I've had bad experience with leasing property with different people. You know, when you go in with somebody, you can have really bad experiences there. Make sure that if you do join with somebody on a lease, that they're like-minded, that they're going to hunt like you. That great point. Um, you know, and what I mean by that is, if your goal is to harvest mature deer only, you do not want somebody on that lease that is going to shoot everything and anything that they see. You don't want that. If your goal and your your method is uh, hunting the wind direction correctly and a stealthy approach and staying at home if the wind's wrong or conditions are bad, you do not want to be on a lease with somebody that's just going to go because it's the time that they're off of work and they can go. And regardless nine of out conditions. of ten of your buddies that have leases hunt with somebody that doesn't line up like that. Uh, it I, makes for a bad situation. Well, I, I guess you sort of, I mean, you formed my hunting techniques. You kind of tailor-made your own, own little lease buddy <laughs> in me, you know, because I've been with you the entire time I've been into this. So uh, that's a great point I hadn't even thought about. Yeah, I mean, and it could be disastrous if, you know, if you're going to invest lots of money and, and put all your eggs into that basket and say, this is the lease I'm going to have, and it, it'd be a better decision to walk away from that opportunity to lease that property than to invite that buddy that hunts completely opposite or doesn't have the same goal set that you have because neither one of you are going to be happy, and it could lead to hard feelings. You know, and, and then there's the case where you have three and four guys on a lease or five or however, you know, depending on the size of the property, and one guy leaves one year, and you have to find a replacement for him, probably left at an inopportune time in your last minute, Man, I would think it's worth it if you the rest of the guys in the group pitched uh, in and covered just that pitched cost. Pitched in and cover it as opposed to bringing in a variable. Uh, 
And, and I guess that just kind of goes all the way back to the very start. When you're identifying the budget, maybe keep that in mind. If you don't think you have enough guys that you are close with and, and like-minded with, well, maybe your budget needs to just consider one hunter. Yeah, And absolutely. there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and nothing wrong with that at all. Um, and you can find those properties. And I'll tell you something else to keep in mind with it as well. Uh, you don't want to go into uh, a lease situation where, let's say, um, you've got a uh, a group of four people, and all four people they come from a hunting family. Well, you don't want to run into a situation.